Hello, and welcome to the Natural Evolution Podcast, produced by Rebel Health Tribe. I'm Michael, and I'll be your host. Together, we will be hearing inspiring stories of healing and transformation, learning from some of the brightest minds in the world of functional medicine and holistic wellness, and exploring the world's best health-related products, services, tools, and resources. And we are live recording now after a half hour of already chatting. I really got to start recording those those pre-recording conversations because they would make for a good side a side podcast. I am here with Brandon, man. How are you doing? Good, man. Thanks for having me, Michael. It's, uh, I enjoyed our pre-conversation too, and I'm excited <laughs> to keep the convo going here. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be fun. And we've kind of like uh, been um, orbiting in each other's circles and, and crossing paths for for quite a while through FDN, through, you know, what we've been through personally, which uh, I'm going to ask you to share in a minute. And I think that um, there's a lot of similarities there. And uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation to have. Um, probably should have done this a long time ago, but everything happens when it when it needs to. So for those who don't know, Brendan Vermeyer is a mental and metabolic health scientist and researcher, functional medicine educator, and writer. He's a board-certified holistic health practitioner, master nutrition coach, master personal trainer, USAW sports performance coach, and CrossFit trainer. And there's a few things there that don't necessarily play well with each other. I want to ask questions about that. Uh, he's the proud owner and founder of the Metabolic Solutions Institute for Functional Health and Fitness Practitioners and the creator of the Functional Mental Health Practitioner Certification Course, which we're going to probably chat about today. Um, he's also the founder of the Metabolic Solutions Research and Education Foundation, a non-for-profit dedicated to changing the way the world views mental health through advancing the science of mental health dysfunction. He's the creator of the Mental Map, a cutting-edge lab panel for mental health, which I'd also like to learn about. And when he's not educating doctors and practitioners and professionals or helping clients, uh, Brendan enjoys all things fitness and is probably working out. And he enjoys anything in nature and any activities that expand his heart, mind, and soul. And there's more overlap than I thought. And I started, I have a master's in exercise physiology and started as a personal trainer myself and recognize a few of those things in there. I did CSCS. I didn't do the, the USAW, but um, that's quite a journey. Uh, I'm curious what order some of that happened in and and when did that kick off? Yeah. I mean, this is super fun already to talk to you because I, I, you know, I followed you for years and you're uh, a number of years ahead of me, sort of in a very similar space, similar circles. So this will be fun to explore. So I actually, when I was in high school, it was my dream at the time to be a Navy SEAL. You know, I, I think I was a very high functioning, depressed young man. Uh, whatever was going on with me, but I was very intense. I was very focused and I needed something to channel that. Um, I actually grew up doing martial arts and was really, really martial arts was my first passion. And so I think I have a samurai poster literally right here. And um, Which I martial think arts? Uh, karate was the first and then uh, MMA, Krav Maga, Jiu-Jitsu, wrestling, all, all the things. And a lot of those, you know, life lessons kind of stuck. And so I, as a young man, I think I had a very literal translation into, you know, adulthood and career of like, cool, I need to go be a Navy SEAL because I want to be the best of the best and, you know, all of that. 
So after high school, I actually, uh, I qualified for the SEAL program and signed a six-year Navy SEAL contract. And then I was about halfway through boot camp and they found I had an inguinal hernia. So they had to pull me out of training, medically discharge me. Uh, and that felt, you know, like my life goal ripped away. So that was pretty soul crushing at the time. And uh, it was during that time that I was working at uh, a gym, scrubbing toilets, folding towels. And I was obviously very big on fitness just from all the training I did to get ready for the Navy and my athletic history. So that's when I kind of went to my fallback plan, which was get certified as a trainer, get certified as a nutrition coach, get started with that because academia and the college kid lifestyle just did not resonate with me at all. So I got certified and got started and then really just fell in love with health sciences and helping people. And it just has gradually evolved over the years and, and you know, now doing what we're doing now. Yeah, I think when you came into the FDN scene, uh, you came from like fitness, right? You, you were still doing that or I don't, you were, do you still do competitions? No, no. I, you know, I did bodybuilding okay. for like six years and, you know, okay. did all of that. I, I've kind of done all the fitness stuff, you know, CrossFit and Olympic weightlifting and bodybuilding. And, but yeah, I came into the more functional medicine space from fitness and nutrition, which when I, you know, obviously FDN kind of has its own unique approach. So I came into the functional medicine space thinking that we all approached it the same of like, yeah, fitness, nutrition, lifestyle, sleep, stress, supplements, and then medications. So then when I saw these, you know, doctors that call themselves functional and it's like, all they're doing is, you know, prescribing drugs and throwing supplements without any of the nutrition or the fitness or the lifestyle. I was like, I think we're doing something wrong here, guys. So it's been interesting. <laughs> so is it out of your own interest that you got more into like a functional medicine type approach and labs and, and that kind of thing? Or was it the people you were working with presented like more complex situations or you were just trying to like take your level of depth a little further or how did that come about? Uh, a little bit of both. So I started my career with uh, Lifetime Fitness, who already has a very science-based approach. You know, they have a lab testing program, they do metabolic testing. So I was very, and I just love science. And so I was really into all the, the deeper science of like, cool, you're trying to lose weight. So how do we measure progress? Like, are you just going to step on the scale every day and get frustrated? Or no, let's use blood work. Let's use VO2 testing. Let's use body composition testing. So just kind of a more science-based and educated approach to optimal health and fitness. But like the more that you pull that thread, my thing, I was always kind of known as like the trainer dude that the other trainers sent their clients to when they weren't getting results, right? Like you're already exercising, you're already eating well, but something's wrong, you're symptomatic. So, you, you know, when you're kind of working in that metabolic health dysfunction, if you keep pulling that thread before you know it, you're spiraling down into further into dysfunction and disease. So that's how it was for me. And I was always just really passionate about like the lab testing and, and like supplement protocols just to enhance the process. So that's more so. And then it was going through my own health struggles and uh, my ex-fiance who had a mysterious illness. That's really when I, I dove headfirst into the functional medicine space. Okay. Yeah. It, it usually comes out of personal experience. I've asked that question to a lot of practitioners and doctors, and I'd say about 90% of them 
uh, it's because they had to figure out something for themselves. There's somebody close to them and then they went down the rabbit hole and you can't get out of it. Yeah. That's exactly uh, it. <laughs> you can't go backwards. Yeah. Uh, I'm one of the rare, I'm one of the 10%. I didn't have anything of my own that I was trying to figure out. I just, my clients were in the gym and then I started to learn nutrition because the fitness by itself isn't enough. So then I started to learn nutrition and then they were symptomatic and then they had issues and I started reading things. And then the other trainers would be like, Hey, what do you do with a person with IBS? And I'm like, I don't know. I'll get back to you in a week. And then I would go listen to things and I'd come back and I was like, Oh shit, they train people in this. I can learn how to do this. And so it was, it was just a deepening depth of clients kind of, and, um, I asked the martial arts, I, I box. So it's the only one you didn't mention. But uh, that's included in MMA. But uh, the the wrestlers and the grapplers and the jujitsu always tried to pull me over to that side of the gym, and I always stayed over with the yeah. with my shoes on. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the the martial arts in the gym is a good place to be. Um, we're going to talk about mental health today, and we didn't that hasn't been touched on in anything that we just mentioned. You have a really just a really inspiring story, and and what you've been through, and and how you came to be interested in mental health and taking, you know, such a strong focus with, you know, the organization you've created, the the certification you're going to create, everything you just told me, aside from the Navy SEAL situation falling through, uh, which I'm kind of selfishly glad that it did because you're doing a lot of really cool stuff. Aside from that, there wasn't anything you just mentioned that would indicate that there was anything wrong, that there was, you sounded like you know, gangbusters, crushing life, doing all these things. It's so awesome. It's so perfect. I've worked at Lifetime for a little bit. I know what the environment was there. I mean, that's a good spot for a trainer, especially a dialed in trainer. Like that's actually, you know, successful in, in what they're doing. Lifetime's a pretty good place to be a trainer. The trainings that you went through, like that's high level stuff. You had this really cool career doing science health, nutrition, fitnessy things. It sounds like the perfect the perfect life, right? I, I agree about lifetime. Sometimes I wish I could do it all again and be more content wearing the black uniform and fitting into the corporate box that they try to shove you into. Um, yeah, I, I made it a little while. <laughs> but Some as far as things. like Globo gyms go, though, I have experienced at other ones too, and I know how other ones run. I'm not trying to throw lifetime under the bus. Lifetime, yeah. as far as like the Globo gyms go. Uh, it, to me, it's definitely the best one. Yeah. Like, oh, by, I mean the, the giant international gym conglomerates, yeah. but yeah, I remember putting on that black shirt. I thought I was the shit. And I was like, man, yeah. this is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, but what I, happened? I mean, I don't want to, um, it's your story. So I'll let you get into where mental health became your focus and how and why, but I think it goes to show that what's going on for somebody uh, is not always very clear or visible on the outside, I guess is the point I was trying to make. And that I know when I came out publicly with, you know, my own mental health challenges and depression and anxiety and, um, people were like, but you, your life is so awesome, or you seem so put together, or you, you like, you're the one who helps me or, you know, whatever. And, um, I'd like to just open up the floor for you to share like what happened and what you went through. Cause I think it's, it's super powerful. And then we can, we can talk a little bit about how those worlds have combined to yeah, no, create absolutely. some cool stuff. I appreciate it. It's, it's, it's been a crazy journey because, you know, I, I was, I had a, a great thing going for me at lifetime and I still love that company. Um, and I'm really glad I started with them, but tracing back a little bit, 
you know, in, in high school, first off, anybody that wants to be a Navy SEAL, especially as a teenager, you kind of have to look at that and go, why? Like, what's going on with you? Why, why do you want to put yourself through hell week and the hardest military training ever? And especially at, as, as a teenager, because I, I look at that hindsight 2020 and I'm like, that looks like self-destructive something going on right there. Uh, it's one thing for like a grown ass man that's like 30 years old that wants to serve his country, but a teenager that hasn't tasted life yet. What's the motivation there? What's yeah. the, yeah. What's exactly. the real why? Yeah. Which I don't think I even really knew at that point. I was just, you know, chasing the no. most intense goal that I could. I obviously had something I needed to prove to myself or somebody. Right. And when I was 17 years old, I think it was like my senior, junior year in high school, I was just doing a physical for, for sports with my uh, primary care. And I had mentioned, like, I always get seasonal effective. I hate winter with burning passion. So I mentioned something Same. about seasonal effective, right? And without, you know, no blood work, no referral to a psychologist or anything, just, yeah, here's 17-year-old kid, here's a script for Zoloft, right? And Zoloft didn't work for me very well, made me worse, apathetic, anhedonia, just kind of an apathetic zombie. Um, so that was when I was 17. And, you know, I, I was a wallflower in high school. Like I didn't talk for four years. I was a small kid and um, just kind of kept to myself, made the grade, did sports, loved, loved sports and wrestling and, and martial arts all the way through. And so then I'm working at Lifetime scrubbing toilets and I'm working with all these, you know, 30 year old hormonal, you know, hotshot trainer people and whatever. Uh, but my mental health just kind of continued to stutter and decline. I think it was, I was like 20 where then I was back in front of my primary care and kind of the same idea. I was just doing a checkup and this time, like here, try Wellbutrin this time because the, S- the SSRI didn't sit so well. And this was like four years later in this time because of the history, then I got referred to a clinical psychology clinic and I underwent, you know, a battery of tests, all subjective, you know, questionnaires and hit the space bar when this number popped up on the screen. So then I was officially diagnosed with major depressive disorder and ADHD and then put on Vyvanse and Adderall on top of the Wellbutrin. And at that point in my life, I'll just candidly admit, like I got myself caught up in a really, really bad situation and I got really, really burnt and hurt. So I swallowed my entire bottle of Wellbutrin and then woke up in the intensive care unit like three, I think three days later, you know, breathing out of a tube. And it was, of course, deemed a suicide attempt. So I was in the ICU for like five nights to get me medically stable then transferred to an inpatient psych ward where you're literally locked up, like can't step outside, your rights are revoked, you have nothing but, you know, processed cafeteria food, they don't even tell you when they change your prescription dosages, it's just line up like cattle, take the pills, talk to the psychiatrist that literally has no concept of holistic health or movement as medicine, or, you know, none of that exists. It's just here's the medical cocktail to make you sedated or less crazy. So that was kind of my experience. So when I got out of all of that, and then I'm, I was in school full time because I knew I wanted to do more like naturopathic functional stuff and I didn't know how to get there. So I'm like working full time as personal trainer, nutrition coach in a corporate model. That's all commission. 
you know, uh, going to school a lot of hustle. Yeah. And then jumping through the BS, you know, hoops of gen eds and academia, then ran into a really, you know, toxic situation that I walked into and got burnt. So, I mean, it was, it was kind of a shit show and honestly, it kind of went downhill from there. I, I quit the gym and went to a different gym, started over. I dropped out of school and started doing different certification programs that were more related to holistic functional stuff. Uh, and then I was in a relationship that was very toxic and we were living in a moldy house and she got mysteriously ill. So I was trying to save her and figure out what her root cause was and went down all those rabbit holes. So it's been weird how the journeys just evolved over time. And yeah, now I do all that I do with mental health and neuroinflammation, but there's just so many missing gaps in between conventional and fitness and functional. And, you know, like we were talking about behind the scenes of, okay, the psychological, psycho-emotional, spiritual component of mental health, but then the very real physiological kind of root cause side of it. And there's so much space in between and people have no idea how to kind of combine those two worlds. Uh, how long ago was that um, when you were in the hospital? Uh, that was in 2014, so about eight years ago. Okay, that's the post I saw recently that yep. I think that actually is what I think that's what nudged me to reach out to you to come on the podcast. Actually, I think I saw that and was, um, he shared it really candidly and, uh, I've been there and I get it. I've not been in the psych ward. I didn't go to the hospital because I was like, so hesitant to being in that environment. I thought it would make me worse. Like I, I thought being locked up and being fed drugs in a place I couldn't leave with people I don't know would have left me worse off. I was close though, a couple of times. And, um, it's a, deep place to pull yourself out from. And so um, you mentioned the the root cause physiological stuff, which is the biochemistry and the neurotransmitters and the uh, vitamins and minerals and hormones and all of that. And then there's the psycho-spiritual emotional side of things. So that was eight years ago. I'm curious, um, before we get into what you're doing now to kind of help practitioners be able to better address these things, uh, I'm curious what what, if you're open to sharing, has been the biggest needle movers for you in regards to getting yourself from a place where taking a bottle of Wellbutrin seems like the play mm -hmm. to doing everything that you're doing now, seemingly in a much better place? I never project that on people anymore. So I'm hope, I hope you're in a much better place, but it, it appears so. And I can kind of sense that in the discussion that um, you have a lot of awareness and perspective on where things were. Usually that's not there until somebody's in a bit of a better place. But um, what has been your eight years from then, from that day till now, the biggest needle movers for you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's a big question, an important one, because I get hit up on the internet every day where, you know, people hear my story and it's like, so what was your root cause? You know, this kind of singular, mm -hmm. like, yeah. Point, point and shoot. Like, was Same. it just gluten? Was it just what supplement gold? did you take? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, well, it's a little more complicated than that. And so this is where, like, as I'm building out this FM, FMHP thing, I'm literally trying, well, or not trying, I am, I'm, you know, putting this into a curriculum to, to teach of like, how, how did I do it? Right. And so what's beautiful is like my work is my medicine. Like it's, it's through this work that I'm doing 
that is my medicine. It's like my daily dose to like show up and try to figure out how do I take all the lessons that I've learned over these years, all the self-experimentation and the revelations and the self-discovery, and how do I teach this, you know, to other professionals in a way that they can implement with clients and patients. And, you know, so I created, the other day I was drawing this um, functional intervention hierarchy that I'm calling it. And it's kind of this pyramid of like, all right, you got more like your medications, your emergency medicine at the top versus more environment at the bottom, right? Of, of course, like if an organism, and I, I think we yeah. overhumanize the human experience. I'll say that right now. Like yeah. we're so caught up in our own very limited human perspective that we overlook obvious things, but like if an organism is struggling, you should probably look at the environment it's in first, right? Whether it's the literal right. physical environment or like the metaphysical, emotional, esoteric environment. So, you know, I wish I could say that there was just one root cause and, you know, there are a lot of things, right? Like, uh, I didn't know that I'm on the celiac spectrum until I was like in my mid twenties. Right. So I was eating gluten up until the age of, um, you know, 22, 23, something like that. And turns out like, yeah, actually I am on that celiac spectrum or sure. I have the MTH far snip. Sure. I, you know, I, I have to take 500 milligrams, five HDP every single day just to keep my mood stable. Right. So there are the very, you know, tangible biochemical physiological things that I've had to learn how to monitor through lab testing and manage with my lifestyle and supplement regimen and all the things. But then it's so much more than that. And I remember for me, when I was really struggling, obviously there's a lot of stigma around mental health already, but I always kind of felt like, you know, I'm a headstrong kid. I don't feel like I have a bad outlook on life. I don't feel like there's anything inherently wrong with me psychologically it felt more of like a symptomatic thing. It felt more like I just don't have the energy that I want. I don't feel the way I want to feel. So I always, as a younger person, kind of thought it was a little bit more physiological in origin. But as I've kind of come into my own, into adulthood and gained some wisdom and maturity, I'm able to more objectively see like, actually, I think there was a lot of self-discovery and a lot of, you know, early life conditioning and self-limiting beliefs that I've had to identify and dismantle. So this is why I'm so passionate about trying to bring these two worlds together where I literally, if I'm working with a client, I'll sit down and, you know, we unpack like, all right, here's the psychological healing opportunities. Here's the physiological. Fortunately, the physiological is kind of easy, right? Like low lab testing, some yeah. supplement protocols, some diet yeah. lifestyle tweaks. That's the easy part. But like what I used to think it was hard and complex until I switched sides. <laughs> totally. I'm not, that's where I'm like, I don't know. And it's I'll, like, I'll, oh I'll man. <laughs> okay. But, uh, yeah, but to even be literate with it, like to even be literate with it as a health practitioner puts it's, it's the value to the client is, is there's so many people that never get told that never get shown that never even get brought up. Yeah. That's that's an excellent way to be doing it. So for you, it was learning your own unique kind of needs, both from the physiological side of things and then unpacking some, I mean, if I want to informally jump in inappropriately from the psychology side of things, I see 
the drive to become a Navy SEAL at 15. I see you mentioned two extremely toxic relationships that did a lot of harm to you. As a person quite experienced with very toxic relationships, I know that there's reasons we find ourselves in those situations and that will keep repeating itself until the reason that you're in those situations changes. And so um, people ask me all the time too, because I'm pretty public about you know, being suicidal and having depression and anxiety and really severe ADD, um, which I'm learning to weaponize as a gift in some ways, but it's still a hassle a lot. And um, people will say like, what did you do to get better? And they, they do, they want like a, you do these six things and you're going to be better. And unfortunately it's not that it's, um, it's, it's a combination of, and it's making different choices and making them every day. And, um, I did a lot of work on the other side and then, um, I've now noticed too, uh, you know, if I stay up a couple hours too late, I don't feel good. That's like my biggest needle mover for some people. It's food. For some people, it's exercise. If they don't train five times a week, they they don't feel good. If they eat something they shouldn't eat, they don't feel good. I've learned that mine is sleep and circadian rhythm. And I was in the service industry for 10 years. I didn't go to sleep before midnight once for like 10 years. And that's when my depression was the most severe. Now, if I'm up later than I should be, I'm depressed the next day, no matter what supplements I take or what food I do. So like, it's different for each person. And you mentioned the environment. A toxic relationship is an environment just as much as a moldy house is. And I used to run into that with clients and I didn't know how to say it. And you just got to say it. But I just saw a meme the other day and it's, it's this. It just says, if there's a flower that's not growing, you look at the soil. You don't look at the flower. The flower is not inherently broken. There's no broken nature, like the, the trees and the plants and the flowers. If it doesn't grow, if it's not growing... You immediately look at like, how's it being taken care of? What's the temperature? What's the humidity? What's the soil? Like without question, nobody ever says like, oh, I got a dud plant. Yeah. Yeah. What's wrong with a flower? (laughs) Yeah. The way this flower is a dud that doesn't exist. And it doesn't exist for people either. And so I think that that was a great point that you brought up is, um, you know, that it's the environment plays such an immense role. I had a client once, I'll change her name, uh, Diana. Uh, who's lost one of her children in, a, in an automobile accident. Um, was probably about five years before I was working with her. And after that happened, she put on a bunch of weight. Her health started deteriorating. She started having a lot of chronic pain. She was having insomnia and all these things. And we did the whole intakes. We did the, the everything with FDN. We did the labs. We did all the stuff. We did everything. And what she kept, what I kept hearing, and this is well before I was trained in any of this stuff, I would have done more for her now, but then I kept hearing guilt, shame, guilt, guilt, shame, guilt, shame. Like she blamed herself for his death. And I don't know the situation around the car accident, but I think it was something like she didn't give him a ride or like somehow she was involved in the incident in some way, I think. And there was just this immense guilt and shame. And I recommended a book to her on that. And I sent her to someone who like works with that. And I kind of taught her some very basics of like mindfulness and being aware of like thoughts and loops and patterns. And that like, it's not her fault before she even started taking the supplements or the nutrition or any of the things, her symptoms shifted probably about 30% in like a week or two, just from reframing 
that a little bit. And um, I don't know, it just felt really relevant to share. I figured you'd be able to back that up. But uh, so I'm curious, you mentioned um, you take 5-HCP. I'm guessing you figured out you're not the world's champion of serotonin creation. Um, but uh, you mentioned labs specific and, and you're, you've created an entire training program, basically reverse engineered your own kind of healing to create a program that will teach practitioners how to assess and, and work with individuals. Can you talk a little bit about that and like the labs and the, you know, what type of stuff is covered there? Because I, I saw when you when you went over to this side, you kind of alluded to like the functional medicine side of the the mental health. What what does that entail? Like we keep talking about it as if everybody knows what we're talking about. What is the what is the functional medicine side of mental health to you? And what does that training look like that you're putting together? Yeah, I uh, for years now I've had a number of practitioners because training providers has been you know my day past like six years. And I've had a lot of people asking like, Hey, when are you going to create your own program? And I didn't want to create something that already exists. There's, there's a lot of good entry-level integrative functional programs. Um, but just over the years, I have organically found myself in this niche of functional medicine for mental health thing. And even, um, this past, past year, I spoke at, uh, IMMH or integrated medicine for mental health, which is you know, well-respected conference in the industry. And it's, you know, basically all psychiatrists, you know, speaking on stage alongside doctors and PhDs have been in practice longer than I've been alive. And I, I thought that was like my environment. I thought those were my people, but honestly, it felt very conventional psychiatric. It felt very allopathic, very dry very reductionistic. There really was no holistic functional energy in, in that room, which was that just kind of further shoved me of like, dude, you know, somebody's got to create a more comprehensive training that kind of ties all, all this together. Cause sure, you might have like fitness professionals that understand at a very simplistic level that like, hey, people feel better when they're in shape and they're working out, right? And oh, well, nutrition plays into your mood or, oh, sunlight. So there's all these bits and pieces, but I haven't seen anything that puts it all in, into one curriculum. And so my whole curriculum, although it is extremely lab testing, evidence, research-based, you know, I, I love the technical science and I've mapped a lot of that out very in depth. But what I love about it is like, the more you go down the scientific rabbit holes, it points us back to stuff that should be common sense. Right. And I think a lot of people, they're so caught up in their own survival mode. There isn't any mindfulness to understand all these input signals that are affecting their body. So they don't recognize that sort of environmental or the esoteric, but that's where, like we were saying, people kind of want to go into the one of the, one of the two camps of either this kind of self-healing, psycho-emotional, do all the journaling, the polyvagal, neurolimbic, all that, or just chasing these kind of fallacious root causes. And it's like, well, we have to do both. So, you know, I am setting up this curriculum where it's like we're doing a more holistic intake to be able to create, like, okay, what are the physiological healing opportunities and you know, what testing can we use to dig into that, whether it's, you know, the mental map or Dutch or, you know, stool testing, all the testing, 
because my whole thing, something I'm really passionate about, I think all these cool modalities, they can help, whether it's that bottle of supplement, whether it's that exercise regimen or that fancy diet or that neurolimbic thing, it can all be helpful. But I think we have to be scientists in our own healing. I think we have to be objective because I think healing is a very, it's, it's the hardest journey that you can go on, right? Trying to heal at a psychological, emotional, and physiological level all at the same time. And all those confounding factors are a hurricane within your own body, within your own soul. And we lose objectivity through that. We're so caught up in our human experience. We can't make sense of it. So huge, for example, like with trauma, which we talked about behind the scenes, trauma has become this trendy subject in the functional medicine space. Well, maybe trauma is your singular root cause. That's root cause of everything happened in your childhood. And it's like, yeah, I've mapped out that science where, yeah, now we actually have hard science that shows yeah, early life stress, adverse childhood events, you know, early life trauma increases inflammation and immunosenescence. It alters epigenetics. So yes, it can set you up for this HPA neurolimbic inflammatory long-term thing that can, you know, contribute. But we for too long have separated physiology and psychology, but now we see it's like, well, yeah, thoughts become proteins. You're you can manifest your own illness. Placebo has been validated. So this is why I'm really big on using very sensitive, objective biomarkers to qualify whatever intervention we're using, whether that's talking to a therapist, doing ayahuasca, taking 50 supplements, remediating the mold in your apartment. Is it actually moving the needle on your health objectively? But that has to go subjectively. So like anytime I'm working with a client, the three ways I assess progress are their subjective perception of quality of life is getting better. Their symptomology is getting better, still subjective measured objectively, but then their, their sensitive biomarker data also has to be getting better if we're hitting those three things. But I think functional medicine practitioners and psychiatrists, it's still just what pill, what's the mechanism of action just to get their crazy brain chemicals in check. So I do, I think this more holistic functional curriculum that's taking all of this into account, but still backing it up with objective data, but bringing more of that motivational interviewing and the, the, the psychology of effective behavior modification, right? Because it's like, it's a lifestyle change. It's a mindset change. You know, the, the pills and protocols only get you so far, but we have to bring it all together. And that's really what I'm aiming to do. I'd like to briefly interrupt this conversation to let everyone know that we've got a free downloadable Foundations of Wellness Starter Kit. It's available for you right now over at www.rebelhealthtribe.com backslash foundations. If you'd like a little help organizing and implementing all your learning from this podcast, a gift from our team over at Rebel Health Tribe, producers of this show. And now back to your episode. How long is this, like, what does this look like for practitioners? Because we do have practitioners that listen to our show too. So if they're curious about it, like, is it a certain amount of months, weeks, or is it just work at your own pace or is there live? Like, what's the, how's it going to work? Yeah, my, I, I'm trying to structure a little bit different. I don't want it to be like the evergreen, you know, kind of experience. I want it to be a little bit more um, interactive. Like core. So, yeah, it, it's a prox. It's going to be approximately like 150 plus hours of pre-recorded modules, and we're going to be 
dripping out the modules one month at a time, keep everybody on the same schedule. The plan is you have one year, one year to get through the curriculum, one year to get through the schedule. Obviously, if somebody's struggling, they can do an extension, but basically one year, keep up with the trainings, practical exams, live case studies, live Q&A. So there is kind of that evergreen module, like work at your own pace through the modules, but then have the live training experiences as well to support that curriculum. So I want it to be advanced in nature. I want it to be um, prestigious. You know, I, I think there's too many kind of like the weekend certification courses as a lot yeah. of people might, you know, say in a derogatory manner. And it's like, I don't want it to be that. I, I want this to, and I don't want it to be, um, I want it to be agnostic as far as psychiatrists in the program, health coaches side by side, because that's, there's too much of a divide between licensed, unlicensed. And I, I see that bickering about that. We need to get over that because it's like, as a functional industry, I don't think we're effectively encroaching upon the entire population. And if we're squabbling amongst ourselves of, well, you stay in your lane, you stay in your lane. It's like, no, no, we all need to be on the same page. Well, here. The market is not saturated. It's not yeah. like everybody walking around has their therapist and their functional nutrition coach and their doctor and their acupuncturist. And they're, you know, yeah. it's yeah. not 90% of the people out there have none of those things. And those are the people that we need to, to work together to reach. So I, I like that. I see a lot of that squabbling too, and the things that I do. And what's been interesting about the licensed, non-licensed thing, it's a little behind the scenes in the industry for people who are not in any of these industries, is now that telehealth is a thing with COVID and therapy, teletherapy, telemedicine, tele-everything, everybody working via distance, the licensed practitioners are actually far more handcuffed as far as what they can do because they go state by state with their credentialing and so if you're a licensed therapist, for example, and you live in Oregon, you can only work with patients or clients, I guess that would be clients in Oregon, even via the internet, technically with your license. So now a lot of them are switching to do coaching and not even using their license. And then I'm seeing that a lot with RDs and even some doctors. I, I interviewed a functional rheumatologist, which is a thing. I was so excited to learn that that was a thing. I met one an integrative rheumatologist. And um, he's working, he's got licensed in 17 states, which is incredible. But he's, if somebody's outside of the state or outside of the country, uh, he coaches them and just doesn't do prescriptions and doesn't do whatever. And so it's interesting now because the, the, the that environment has shifted so much in the last five years where everything's done virtually now. And watching the licensed people kind of scramble to be able to meet the need whereas the unlicensed people who are more the certifications and those types of trainings are way more flexible and like um agile in those spaces but um that's really interesting i think it, it'd be great for people on I'd, I'd love to learn more i want to i want to see this because i'm really interested in it and um i think that i have uh, i know a lot of people on the the psycho spiritual emotional side who are trying to learn some of this stuff because they know that it helps, but they don't know where to go to learn it. And mental health is pretty much the hottest topic in functional medicine right now too. So I think you're creating something that's direct need. And um, I'd love to help out any way that I can too with any of the connections I have, or if, I don't know, any, any way whatsoever, uh, I'd love to, to be a help. So I'm really, 
excited about it. And I wish that it existed a while ago so that somebody could have helped me out. I guess I want to leave with just, um, you talked about your own needle movers a little bit, like you take 500 milligrams of 5-HTP every day. Uh, I have to take that, uh, the, the slow release one at nighttime. That's what I've noticed for me, because then I wake up not feeling like doom. Um, but uh, if somebody wants to take away from this, like you have a lot of experience with nutrition and lifestyle and functional medicine principles and practices, labs, whatever, all of that related to mental health, but it doesn't have to get super complicated. So a few simple needle movers for people from the functional medicine side of things, people who might suffer from, you know, even seasonal depression or major depression or anxiety or any of these types of, I mean, it's, if you look at the statistics now, which I'm doing, putting together some investment pitch things for Enora, we're looking at statistics on like mental health diagnoses and the amount of people who are suffering from this thing or this thing or this thing or this thing. If you add up all the, this things, it's like half the population. And those are just the ones who have told somebody, what are your handful of little could be three, four, simple, easy, strong needle movers that you've seen be effective for most people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, I really appreciate everything that you said. It, you know, it's like I said, my work is my medicine and this is the, you know, culmination of uh, a lot of years of work and service and healing and digging into the science. Like it, it's crazy to be here and you know, I look forward to maybe being on the other side of the launch because I'll be buried in work for a while. But um, it is very medicinal to do this service to the world and it's never been needed more. And so I think it's, you know, it's the time and uh, like I got to do it. You know, it's one of those things like deep in my own soul. I feel like I have to do this. And then maybe after that, then I can die in peace. And, you know, that was my contribution to the world. But I think that's part of it. So as far as some of the big takeaways, because we really, I think, I, I don't I get why, and I think it's a survival mode, desperate, cling to anything tangible. I think a lot of people need to take more ownership and start facing themselves, even when it's really, really hard, kind of owning their shit to, to be candid. Uh, I think there's just too much bypassing. You know, we could say spiritual bypassing if we want, but a lot of people want to find something to blame that's external to themselves for their own circumstances. Like why was a victim that person, you know, traumatized me or that tick bit me. And so now I have Lyme and it's not my fault and whatever. And there's such an obsession of things outside of our control. And it's like, well, how about things in our control? Right. So I'm always like, starts with mindfulness. If you're not even mindful of what the issues really are and how you're contributing, to your own self-induced suffering, which I would argue that the vast majority of human suffering is self-induced. Almost majority, all of it. Yeah. Although I would say at least 85%. Yeah. So that deserves, you know, I'm not judging anybody. Work. I was the champion <laughs> of it and still am sometimes. So yes, yeah, same here, same here, right? Cause you can do all the root cause protocols. You can do all the esoteric, you can do all the psychedelics, you can do whatever but without like a, a sense of purpose, a sense of core values of like, why are, you know, what is your contribution? Right. So I think, you know, there's always that environment, there's the purpose, the outlook, 
but even just with the basics of lifestyle, it, it kills me how many people are, you know, dropping 10, 20 K on all the functional medicine stuff or the fancy spiritual stuff. And it's just like, they're not hydrated. They're not eating real food. They're not moving their body daily. They're not getting outside. They're not spending time with loved ones. So that's especially where it's like before going down the root cause rabbit hole or tripping down a, you know, quantum spiritual rabbit hole. Like let's get those fundamental lifestyle behaviors on point. Let's develop some mindfulness around that. Cause you know, your, your health and your physique, that's a reflection of your day-to-day -day habits. We, we have to write, form those right habits with the lifestyle, the exercise, the nutrition, the hydration. It doesn't need to be overcomplicated and people continue to make it overly complicated even with diet, right? Like vegan, plant-based keto, intermittent fasting. It's like, and I, I'll maybe shut up on this note. I, I battle this every day through Instagram and it drives me crazy where I could put a post up about the value of lab testing and I get a rebuttal of, but insurance doesn't cover it. It's too expensive. I can't afford that. Like you're, you know, okay. Uh, here's a valuable supplement. Well, I can't take pills and you're just trying to sell supplements and you know, da, da, you can get that from food. Okay. Uh, eat real food, not processed food. Well, I don't know what that means. Should I do vegan or intermittent fasting? Okay. Exercise. Well, I can't because I have MCAS and mitochondrial dysfunction. Okay. Right. Like no matter what you put out there, people will find a reason why they're a victim and they can't do it. And it's like, okay, well, help me help you. If you are unhelpable, right. And I think there's a lot of people, it's kind of like the, a lot of people want to be a victim. And here's the thing. We live in this weird cancel culture society where it's like being a victim, you get applauded and everybody bends over to accommodate you and your perspective of reality, despite how warped it might be. And it's like a child choosing to drown in two feet of water. And all the kid has to do is stand up, but they're throwing a big fit. They're getting all the attention. They're getting everybody to accommodate them, which is what they want. Everybody wants to be portrayed as the victim, but nobody wants to be a real victim because being a real victim sucks and can ruin your life. But at the end of the day, like until you actually hit that rock bottom, like, you know, you were in the ICU, you almost like, you know, I'm talking about myself here. We're like, I, I almost died. I'm happy to be here. I'm lucky to be here. And it's like, I, you know, you have the choice like victim or victor, which you can't be both. You're, you're either the victor, or you're the victim, which do you want to do? And at what point do you start taking some ownership over your position, despite how unfair life can be and having the discipline, right? There's this radical self-love, self-acceptance movement, but self-respect and discipline are part of that. You can't practice self-love without self-respect. And I think that's kind of lost right now. So those are just kind of a few like closing thoughts because there's no point and going down the root cause rabbit hole or tripping down the vortex until, you know, the foundation is in place. Yeah. And I agree. And I had lots of, I haven't worked one-on-one -on -one with clients in, in a while, but when I was, um, I would get people that would come in and they'd want to do these like super complex protocols and they knew the list of lab tests they wanted to order. And they listened to this podcast with this guy talking about this thing and they wanted to try this protocol and do this. And I'd be like, what, what time do you go to bed at? Well, I try to get, I'm usually in bed by like midnight most nights and I'm just like, okay, let's, let's start there. Well, I'm not going to pay you all this money to tell me to go to bed earlier. And I'm like, okay, cool. Don't, um, 
go to bed earlier for a while, then call me if you still don't feel good. Right. And don't give me any money. <laughs> like yeah. it's uh they people it's the complexity game. It's like the it's almost like a badge of honor of like how complex can it be to fix me? Yeah. And so the more complex it is, that's more valuable in some way. And the simple things aren't as sexy or aren't as like exciting or whatever. And um it's pretty incredible what happened when I stopped going to bed at two in the morning. Yeah. And uh, you know, drinking water, going outside, um, those things. Now, when I don't feel well, I go for a walk outside. Mm-hmm. I don't do the things I used to do when I don't feel well. I just say, "Oh, I, I don't feel good. I'm gonna just stop doing this, and I'm gonna go outside." And then, 20 minutes later, I usually feel better, and I've learned that. And so then, it's positively reinforcing a new thing that you can do instead of the thing that you did before. Um, but yeah, I, I feel you on that and the, the like glorification of who can receive the most complex diagnosis and protocol and, uh, and then not be able to do all the things anyway. Yeah. So you gotta be able to do the things for the things to work. Yeah. Tina Moore and I were just talking on her show the other day and cause my whole like scientific research area of focus and expertise is neuroinflammation and neuroplasticity. And I love the angle that I take with it because sure, just from like a technical, like neurodegenerative disease or mental Mm -hmm. illness, it's like, okay, you know, what therapeutics have the most promising efficacy for regenerating the brain, whether it's monoclonal antibodies or psychedelics or whatever. But I like to kind of take a, little bit more of a holistic angle with that neuroinflammation brain on fire, because I do, it's not, I I have a lot of compassion. It's not that I don't have compassion for what the masses are struggling with, but I don't have tolerance for self-limiting self-destructive ideologies because we can't enable that, right? Like that's the whole point of motivational interviewing is we have to be able to, in a safe environment, help them realize that they're causing a lot of their own problems. And so like with what you're talking about of creating those new habits, you know, to change your habits, you have to change your belief systems and you literally have to rewire your brain, right? Like you're creating new neural networks associated with this habit rather than this habit or this belief instead of that belief. And so my point with this, when the masses, when the population is struggling with higher levels of peripheral and neuroinflammation, it's a lot harder to create new neural networks because their brains are slightly on fire. And so that's a huge part of the work that I do is helping show people like, hey, if we can objectively assess and reduce your neuroinflammation, you will be able to more readily create new neural networks that are aligned with new belief systems that are serving you better new habits that are healthy habits. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the angle that I like to take because I have compassion for it. And it's like, it's not fully your fault, but you do need to take ownership of your position. And we do need to actually improve this physiology, reduce this neuroinflammatory storm. So then we can make the much harder journey of self-discovery and habit development a little bit more feasible. For sure. 
Yeah, yeah. Neuro, neuroinflammation. I was lucky enough to, I, uh, Dr. Karazian did a presentation for one of our master classes a few years ago on, on activated glial cells and, and neuroinflammation. And halfway through, I realized this is for me. Like I need to be taking notes right now. I have a history of concussions. Uh, I had pretty much everything you can do to have neuroinflammation. I lived my first 25 years of my life uh, as if it were my goal to get my brain as inflamed as I could. And I'm actually on day two of a three-day fast right now. I do one every six weeks. Um, and because the autophagy and the glial cells and the, everything. And um, by the second day, I've never taken ADD medication, but for people who do, and it like because for some people, I'm, I'm not a huge, like, I don't jump to medications, but like, um, for some people with like really severe ADHD, they get the right medication and it's like a light bulb goes off and they're a completely different person. And if that's you out there, there's absolutely no shame in, in, in doing that whatsoever. For me, fasting by the second day, it's like my brain just goes like this and it's like, oh, this is what normal people can think like. And it's, it's, it's not as heavy. It's not as dark. It's more clear. It's more spacious and it's, um, it's just simply fasting. And now I've noticed every time I do it, it's not as drastic of, uh, because my baseline is better. Um, cause I do like a one day fast every two weeks or so I'll do like a Sunday where I don't eat. And then every six weeks I do three days and then I'm pretty much eating in like an eight hour window and just doing that now if somebody's out there with adrenal issues or thyroid issues or blood sugar problems don't jump right to what i'm doing but um it's incredible what it did for my brain and then that allows you to do the other things because on both sides of the fence the therapist may give the new client like all these things to do or the functional practitioner might give the new client all these things to do if you live in like a weird fog of not feeling good all the time, like doing any of those things, very difficult to do. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's really cool that, that you mentioned that and start there. Cause for me, it changed everything. Like it was just like, Oh wow, I can have clear thinking and um, it's, it's made a huge change. And so I'd love to have another conversation purely on neuroinflammation if you're down. Oh, absolutely. Because Dr. K's presentation was pretty, pretty um, well received and people have been wanting more of it. So maybe our next chat will be on neuroinflammation. I could, uh, we could do one, we could flip it around and I could go into some crazy psycho-spiritual stuff I've learned in the last few years and we could trade. Cool. So I love that. Yeah. We're doing a, we'll be doing a season four of Holistic Savage podcast. So I got to get you on there so we can riff more. All right. Yeah, man, for sure. And I'd love, I really do. I want to take a look at your curriculum whenever it's cool. And I, I mean, if there's any way I can help, whether it's, you know, just another set of eyes on things or, or connections or anything, I think we've, we've stuck our toes in a lot of the same interests and things. So uh, I think it's awesome. And I'm, I'm really grateful that you're creating it. I know what goes into creating something of that size too. It'll seem huge to the outside world when you release it and they'll be like, wow, this is big. Every bit of it that gets public that seems like X amount of work, like times it by 10. And that's what people are actually doing when they create something like this, because yeah. half the shit never makes it into the thing. And there's, yeah, everything goes sideways. And then you have to do this and you have to reshoot this. And then the audio didn't record on that video. And then the screen <laughs> share doesn't work. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah I get, I get it. So, um, 
I'm excited to see where it goes and I hope it could grow. And um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm just excited that it exists. So yeah. thank you for going through all the shit that you had to go through to figure out that what you're supposed to do is make that. Yeah. Um, Cause really that's what it was for. Yeah. And really um, it's uh, I've realized that too. Like for a long time I was, I was bitter about all the shit that I had, I went through and like resentful or I would have wished it away. Yeah. that it didn't exist or that it didn't happen. And now I know that all of it had to happen because I'm stubborn as hell and I wouldn't have done all the things that I've now done to heal myself and work on myself unless I was at the bottom, unless it was so painful that I had to, or I would die. That was the only way I would do it. I've seen people make like really big changes without their life being totally destroyed. I'm not one of those people. So good for you if you're one of those people. Way to be like in the upper upper echelon of human transformation. Yeah. Uh, for those of us that need to get their ass kicked into the ground a bunch of times before they decide, like, I got to do things a little differently. Um, I'm grateful for the ass kicking because I wouldn't have I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. So absolutely that that perspective is only easy to say years after it happens, but I'm sure that you have a similar. Uh, take on what you went through so where do people go so i was about to sign off where where so sure. the program doesn't start till the fall but let's drop some 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 urls here and some links and some social media handles and then we'll put them in the show notes down below but for people who are just listening um where do they go to find out more about your work yeah thank you i appreciate that metabolic solutions llc.com would be the website and we've got you know the mental map and the fmhp just right on the home page to make it easy for everybody uh and then instagram's my main platform so that's at the holistic savage where that's just where i put everything out and direct people because we all live on instagram these days so between those two uh not too hard to find cool and the website's not live for uh the program yet no we're uh we're building the um information page right now so we'll be right now we just have a running wait list we've got like maybe like 100 practitioners on the wait list and uh then we'll be announcing communications as we get the uh web page in the curriculum published that's what i'm working on this week actually cool man well uh exciting stuff yeah. and uh let's have more chats about more things Absolutely. And I look forward to it. So thanks for doing this and we'll definitely do more. Yeah, absolutely. I'll look forward to it, Michael. This has been great. And that wraps up another episode of the Natural Evolution Podcast. Thanks for listening. And please check out the links in the show notes below to learn more about our guests and grab your free downloadable Foundations of Wellness Starter Kit, which will help you implement what you're learning here and make powerful shifts in your health and your life right away. Just go to www.rebelhealthtribe.com backslash foundations, and you can be started in only a few minutes. If you enjoy the show, please drop a rating, review, or subscribe to stay in the loop with future releases.